Welcome to a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. This is a recording that I do of a weekly Monday night Bible study every Monday night at 7.30 at St. Timothy Catholic Church in Laguna Niguel. If you're interested in joining us live or via Zoom, please email me and let me know. We can get you plugged in, get you the link for that, or just show up in person. We'd love to have you. But without further ado, enjoy this recording of a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. A new week, a new opportunity to gather together as family, as community, here in this place to dive into your word and allow it to speak to us. We pray, Jesus, that your words would come alive in each one of our hearts. You are the word made flesh. So we pray, Lord, that tonight as we encounter you in sacred scripture, we would hear your voice, we'd be attentive to your words and your will for our life. We pray, Lord, that we would especially bring to consideration tonight the things that we are attached to, the things that we pursue, the things that we think will make us happy or fulfill us. And as we pray through this gospel reading tonight, challenge us, convict us in the ways that we may be attached to things that are not good for us, that we may need to reprioritize and recenter our hearts, focused entirely and first, firstly on you. Bless us each here tonight in the ways that we most need it. Bless those watching now or later. And we pray, Lord, that this time would be yours. So any distractions, worries, or anxieties that might pull us away from tonight, we lay all of them and this time at your feet, Lord, and just ask that your will be done with this next hour and with each of our lives. We pray all of these things in your most precious name, Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, As we begin, as I said, we are in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 21. This is the gospel reading for this upcoming Sunday, the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, Father Patrick could not be here tonight. He planned to be here, but he has a friend visiting from out of town. So he wanted me to update you on his research that there was a question about the doxology in the Our Father that uh, in some translations it actually says in the Bible, the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. And he uh, did some research and found that that comes from the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. In the earliest manuscripts um, of of the New Testament, you don't find it anywhere. It's not included in any of the copies, any of the commentaries. It was Um, added a later edition, and for some reason the King James Version, it was added. And so you don't even find it in some Protestant Bibles because they know it's not authentic to the original text. So, But that's why some people include it in the prayer. We even say it in Mass after, but sometimes people include it as part of the Our Father for that reason. So he wanted me to update you and say hello, uh, but he could not be here tonight. Also, one other update. If you're watching this on Zoom or if you ever join on Zoom, uh, August 8th will be the last week that we have the Zoom option. Um, but we will still continue to record. So if you're watching this on Zoom or you sometimes do that, you'll still be able to watch it on YouTube, but we will no longer be doing that, just so you are aware. So announcements aside, uh, we are again in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. This happens a little bit after um, the passage that we read last week on prayer. And in the sequence of events here, it's basically a series of teachings that Jesus continues to give to his disciples and to the crowds about what it means to be faithful to what the Lord is asking of them, what he has come to teach, what his mission is, 
uh, kind of his yoke, the ministry he's come to do. So this is an extension of that same series of teachings. And we're in this section of Luke where Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's done some ministry in Galilee. He's on his way to Jerusalem, which happens in about Luke 18, 19, when he gets there. And then we have the final week of his life, his um, suffering, death, and resurrection um, there. So this central section is just a series of teachings, little episodes that Luke has gathered and put kind of on this journey. Okay, so we're reading a little bit of a section on that, on possessions and greed tonight. So let's begin in Luke 12, starting in verse 13. This is uh, Jesus teaching a crowd. There are uh, Pharisees there, his disciples are there, other people are there. Uh, the place is uh, really unknown, so if you can just imagine some, I don't know, landscape in the middle of some place, uh, out in the middle of the day, Jesus uh, teaching all of the crowds that are there. And in Luke 12, 13, this is what happens. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Jesus replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then there I shall store all of my grain and other goods. And I shall say to myself, now, as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for the one who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich in what matters to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So now you get a sense for this scene. Someone comes to Jesus with a question, often a very common thing that disciples would do to rabbis or prospective students would do. Jesus answers and then gives a parable, a common teaching tactic from the time. And so as we listen the second time through, I invite you to listen to the specific words and phrases as they are read, trying to empty your mind of anything else. And see if anything just sets you on a train of thought, inspires you, sparks something in your mind, a memory. Try and note that as a way that the Lord might be speaking to you directly. And it doesn't have to have anything to do with the passage. It just could be a random word that stood out for what seems to be a random reason. Take that on faith that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and begin to reflect. What is this about? Why is the Lord having this stand out to me? What is he compelling me to do? Second time through. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. 
And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods. And I shall say to myself, now, as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for the one who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich in what matters to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to take a moment to reflect back over the passage, reflect back on the things that stood out to you. If you're watching this on Zoom, feel free to share those reflections and questions in the chat or on YouTube. Feel free to put those in the comments. But for those of us here, take a few moments to look back over, and when you feel so inclined, share with the people who are around you at your table. If you're at a smaller table or alone, feel free to join another one if you like. And we'll spend about 10 minutes doing that, and then we'll bring it back into the larger group for questions and sharing. All right. A lot of good conversations I hear going on. I hate to interrupt them. But I think we can all benefit from one another's questions and sharing. And so, any uh, any of these specific things stand out for anyone? You want to share why they did, or any questions that you have about this reading as you're discussing? Sure. Why phrase? This night of your life will be demanded of you. Meaning, like meaning, like you're going, you could die. Is that what he's meaning? Yeah. So Jared is asking about verse 20. The, the meaning of the phrase "you fool." This night your life will be demanded of yeah. you. Um, so that. First of all, in the original Greek, and I was going to point this out at some point, so thank you. I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> your life, the actual Greek translation is your soul. Your soul will be demanded of you. And that, uh, that relates to in verse 19, where he says, I shall say to myself. In the original Greek, it says, I shall say to my soul. So it's as if he's speaking to his soul, and then God is saying, why are you doing this about your soul? Your soul is going to be taken from you tonight. So I think the interpretation we might accidentally make is that this guy did something wrong and now God is punishing him and saying that he's going to die. That's not what's going to happen. What God is saying, you're just pronouncing to him, you're worried about all these things you're attached to, but you don't even know, tonight you're going to die. Like he's just letting him know, like there are bigger things like that are, that are you know, coming. It's, you don't have to worry about all these, these attachments. That's the interpretation I have of this. So this night your life will be demanded of you, um, meaning that tonight you're, you will die. You know, but I don't think we should interpret that as saying, like, God is saying, okay, because you are being greedy, uh, I'm going to take your life, because that's not how God acts. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, in, you see this all over Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, especially, but in a lot of the parables in the New Testament as well, that you fool is often associated with an improportionate relationship or attachment to wealth. Uh, it's also very often talked about in how we use our words and how we use our speech. Uh, I think it's if it's not more often, it's about the same amount of time where fool is associated with people who just talk too much. You know, or they can't shut their mouths. And the wise one is the one who sits and listens. But when it comes to wealth, the wise one being the one who's a good steward, who knows how to be generous, the fool, the one who chases after possessions. That's all over the Old Testament. So that could be an echo of the Old Testament kind of proverb trope. 
But um, it's also spot on because this guy is being very foolish. He's worrying about all these things that in the grand scheme of life and death don't matter. You know, there's an old Spanish proverb that says, there are no pockets in a shroud. You know, in your burial cloth, there are no pockets. You can't take it with you. Um, and so when we worry about all these things that we could shove our, you know, life pockets with, and we don't think about the fact that eventually we're not going to take any of it with us, that is very foolish. So, yeah, I think it's spot on. But I don't think he's saying it in terms of, of punishment. God and his justice, God is a good judge, meaning that he will always uh, shed light on where, where the sin is, and he will pronounce the, the appropriate consequence. It's not that he's punishing the person, but he's saying, you did this, and so I'm letting you know because you did this, this is the natural result. Like, you're going to have this consequence come some down, somewhere down the line. He's not causing it. He's just saying, this is what happens when you make that bad decision. We all know that. When we make bad decisions, bad things happen. God doesn't cause that, but he allows us to be aware of the consequences and receive them because in his justice, that's, that's necessary. That's good. But his mercy on top of that is what makes that so much more beautiful is that despite the fact that we sin, that we have these consequences, he still tries to call us out and tries to let us know like, hey, tonight, like get right, get right with the Lord, get right with your, your priorities because it's going to happen tonight. Craig. I was saying at the very beginning, I don't know how many people here have followed um, the war in Ukraine, but at the very beginning, both the European Union and the U.S., they decided to go after all these super yachts of the oligarchs. Oh, yeah. And if you read about the opulence of these ships, I mean, half a billion dollars mm -hmm. for one. And maybe they have a second one that's only $250 million. Sure. It costs tens of million dollars a year just to maintain the thing for every year. And what it includes, I mean, in sunlight, they have the option to change color of the entire ship on the outside. Mm -hmm. Not to like, just change color. I mean, the stuff they have is like incredible. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this guy, you know, he's trying to build another barn, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's like even this gospel's been out here like forever. Yeah. And some people, they just block it out. But just that level. A waste of money that could have been used to help so many people. Yeah, and at this time, this guy's situation was similar. This this kind of situation, a bountiful harvest, so much so that it surpassed what you were able to store, not just consume, but store for the future. That is like the wealthiest you could you could get, essentially. You know, especially for the the you know common farmer or laborer or something like that. So yeah, absolutely. I know uh, one of my favorite charities is a charity called Mary's Meals. And my friend Laura, who used to be the youth minister over at St. Ed's, introduced it to me. And for, at Mary's Meals, they, um, they're a charity that's based in Africa and a lot of different places. And they find that a lot of children, they don't go to school because they have to work for food for the family. And so what this charity does is it builds kitchens at schools to provide one hot meal a day for a child so that they'll be propelled to go to school and they can have a hot meal so their parents don't have to worry about them. And their parents are, are more um, okay with them going to school because they know that they're going to get fed. You know how much, how much it costs to feed one child in this program every day a hot meal for an entire year? 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And when you think about that, you know, I have multiple 20s in my wallet, praise the Lord. Um, usually not the case, but at the moment I do, you know, but like... <laughs> I mean, how many children that is? Like when you can put, I, this is why I love that charity because it's so practical for the, for everyone. You know, everyone has come across 20 bucks. You know, even if you're in a time where you're really budgeting, like we can usually spare 20 bucks. 
And that's not just $20. That's like a child with a face on this earth who doesn't have food and who's not getting an education. You know, but when we think about this, like we think about our own possessions, our own wealth, it's important for us to, to point out that wealth is not bad. You know, riches are not bad. Um, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, about wealth, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people in their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. It's the inordinate attachment to money, the storing up wealth that could be used in stewardship for other people. Because we all reach a point where, I think I mentioned this statistic before where they did the study about um, how much money it takes to be happy. And they surveyed all these different people and all these different levels of happiness. And they found that happiness increased and so you got about $75,000 a year and then it plateaued. And no matter how much more money, whether it was in the hundred thousands or the billions, it didn't make you any happier, according to the study. And so that we all have some kind of threshold where probably we, our basic needs are being met. We can pay our bills. We can do a few things here and there for fun, for enjoyment. And beyond that, we really this really is convicting for all of us to be compelled to think about what am I doing with what is left? And am I living in such a way that I'm just kind of burning through everything? Or am I allowing myself to practice the Christian disciplines of things like fasting and almsgiving, like saying no to things, even though I can say yes? And it's not maybe that extravagant, you know, maybe it's just that cup of coffee every day at Starbucks. But am I willing to say no to that every other day or every few days so that I can use that for something else and that can accumulate? I can't, I just don't go through life, you know, saying yes to anything that my heart desires because that propels us into this cycle of me, 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 my, my, my. You recognize in the speech of the rich fool all the times he says, what one biblical commentator put them as aggressive pronouns, me and my. You know, very aggressive pronouns. I'm with my children. Have you ever been around children? Mine. That's mine. That's mine. My thing. My toy. That's mine. Those are aggressive pronouns. How many times he says this? He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And then he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then I shall store all of my grain and other goods. Then I shall say to myself. Like just how self-focused. He's, he's clear that this person is caught up in this cycle of selfishness and self-focus. And again, riches, wealth, money are not bad. They're tools. They're tools to provide for our family, to pursue the things that we want to pursue. But the goal of that, that we should have in mind, is how is this contributing goodness, truth, and beauty to the world? Not how, how is this contributing to my own personal comfort? I think that's something that, especially living in the affluent area that we do, recognizing how wealthy we are in this country, how wealthy we are to just live in this area, to have the life that we do, is very um, convicting, should be very convicting for us. Not to make us feel like we, oh, we're evil, we're the bad people because we live where money is. No. But everyone has a responsibility to the degree that they are able and to the according to the amount of money that they have to have some uh, ability to exercise good stewardship, you know, to have generosity. 8% um, of the people in the world have a car. If you own a car, you're richer than 92% of the people in the entire world. You know, even if it's a junk, a lemon, it doesn't even run. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, we, I think we don't realize how well off we are, how blessed we are. Matt? Um, like the phrase, take heed and beware, like based off what you were saying, really stands out to me in like this case. It seems like 
like exactly what you're saying. Like throughout my life, like I had issues with like just the church how it would accumulate wealth, and I just wasn't sure if it was being used properly. But mm -hmm. I just think in general, like for all of us, like I think you get caught in the same habit. And like the more I've seen, you know, been more involved in church and see like all the ministry that it provides for mm -hmm. other things. Like wow, like this makes sense now to like why we tithe for our church but at the same time it's like with you know the church and also our own lives like we need to always constantly take heed and beware and discern you know when we're being greedy mm -hmm. just to be greedy or we're actually trying to provide for our family. And so when the the guy who asked like if the brother could divide his inheritance I think like an attitude that we should all have it's like with wealth it's like I see like everything that I like earn, I try to like put in the perspective not like just my immediate family, but like also like my extended family, yeah. and also like my spiritual family. So mm -hmm. it's like I feel like if we all have that perspective, like yeah, wealth can be seen as a tool, like you know, to glorify God. But we have always have to take human care. So, yeah. I just came across an article maybe two or three weeks ago about someone did the math about that. It's a common critique of Catholicism because Catholicism, when people like they talk about um, who are the wealthiest organizations in the world, you know, Catholicism always makes the top five because it's massive, you know, and it has accumulated all of these this property, you know, real estate wealth alone, you know. But they neglect to say that the Catholic Church is the most charitable institution in the entire world, and so someone sat down and did the math about, you know, how much wealth, you know, what, and they were very generous in the estimation, and then how much output that the church has, and basically said, like, if, if the church did all these things that critics ask it to do, melt down all of these altars, give back all the gold and all these things, it would basically run out of the money to do its charitable giving within about a year or two, and yet because these sites remain open as pilgrimage sites, because these, you know, glorious sites remain open to provide more streams of income, that can be used for much longer to help serve people all around the world. You know, it wouldn't be this instant fix, you know, that people often often think it would be. Um, I remember seeing uh, a, a while ago, um, someone tweet something about Elon Musk's wealth and saying like, why doesn't Elon Musk, it was a, the calculation of how much it would take to cure world hunger. Um, and it was like $20 billion, 20 to $40 billion. And they were like, why doesn't Elon Musk just like give $40 million or $40 billion to fix this? And Elon Musk replied to the tweet and was like, if you present me a plan that shows how this is actually going to happen and where each dollar goes, I'll give it to you right now. But that's the problem is that we're always looking at like the people out there that have all the money or the institutions and we're never looking at our own wallets. You know, the early church never did that. You know, the early church of disciples weren't like, why doesn't the Roman emperor just like get his act together? And like, just start giving all this money. They were like, here's everything that we own. God is good. Let's just figure it out together. Like that literally selling everything that they owned. They didn't care about the Jeff Bezos and Elon Musks of the world. They cared about what God had given them and how they knew it wasn't theirs. It belonged to him. And so they wanted to be good stewards of it. And they gave it back and had complete reliance and dependence on God. By the way, did you see what the next section is that we didn't read? What it's called? Dependence on God. <laughs> Complete trust, complete willingness to just give everything over. Now, that's not what God is asking of each one of us. But most of us, I think, give in such a way that is convenient and comfortable. Like, what if we really ask God, like, okay, God, how are you calling me to give like it hurts? To give in such a way that it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. That's a lot. 
whether it's my time, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, because we can give it a lot of ways. You know, and if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I don't have that much money. Like, I, I can barely pay my bills. You have other ways that you can give generously. And we can give in ways that are very comfortable, or we can give in ways that are very generous and they're very sacrificial, ways that God is calling us to give. But God is not bound by comfort zones. We are. And so if we can extend that and really pray into the ways that he's calling us to stretch, then I think we can really realize that the generosity that we're capable of. Mother Teresa, when asked, why are there all these people that God lets suffer in the world and go hungry? She says, he doesn't let them, we do. You know, but how do we allow our hearts to swell? In fact, I'm thinking of uh, St. Philip Neri. When they did his autopsy, they found that his heart had grown too big for the size of his ribcage. It was actually causing him a lot of pain and discomfort that he never told anyone about. It was actually manifesting this like spiritual heart swelling. It became a physical deformity for him. His heart was too big for his chest. How do we have the spiritual equivalent of that in our life? Something to consider and pray about this week, potentially. Other questions? Reflections? So, some time? Yeah? I was thinking of um, Joseph, where he had so much to be um, you know, resentful for yeah. his brothers and whatnot. But yet he stored all of that grain mm -hmm. um, for, and he gave it to his brothers. And yeah. he had that dream, and they were all bowing to him and whatnot, and that caused him you know, to have his demise. But yet he used it for good. And he said, God, well, you meant for evil. God meant for good. Mm -hmm. And he stored all this. And then he gave it away. And yeah. what this man should have done. You, you can store it, but you use it for the good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we if we also if we pay attention to the context here, how out of left field this is. Like Jesus is preaching, and he starts in verse 12, and he's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And then he starts talking about, hey, have courage when you're being persecuted. And then talks about like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you are to say. And this guy here is listening to Jesus like talk about like discipleship and having courage. And he's like, yeah, but my brother won't share. <laughs> and, and like Jesus says, that's why Jesus responds the way he does. He's like, who, who am I? Like the law says what the law says. You know, the law says that if you have an inheritance, you pass it to your children, you divide it evenly among your children, and the first, uh, first son gets a double share. Okay, so if you have two sons, the first son gets two-thirds, the second son gets the other third. If you have four sons, you divide into five portions, the first son gets two portions, the, every other son gets one. Uh, and then the women would get buried off, they'd have the dowry and things like that. So everyone was provided for in some particular way. So this guy is like coming in this greed, basically, basically saying, I'm not getting enough, or my brother isn't giving me what is due me. And I could just imagine Jesus, like, in this moment, like, like I am often with my kids. Like, did you really hear what I was just saying? You know, like, like I'm trying to teach my daughter about something. Like, we need to, like, make sure that we're using our words and communicating. Like, Can I have some peanut butter? Like, Are you paying any attention to what I'm saying? You know, like, did you have any idea? So I started doing this thing where I'm like, did you hear what I just said? She said, yeah, okay, tell me what I just said. Um, so you, and then I know, you know, she, so she's getting better at actually listening because of that, but it's just like a parent with children, you know, and I imagine that's what he was having in this moment, just kind of stewing in a very holy way, you know, because Jesus never sinned, but just like, are you serious? Like, I'm not going to deal with this because he's, he's in the middle of this whole diatribe on discipleship and all these teachings. And then this guy comes forward with this very self-focused thing. So he presents this very easy to understand parable. You know, this would have been, 
like we think of this and we're like, okay, yeah, he's got a lot of great, but like, like I said, for this time, like this was like, like oligarchy super wealth. You know, there are people starving left and right. All these people begging, people who are constantly being oppressed or kicked out because they're unclean, they're leprous, and no one cared to provide for them. And this was true in a lot of parts of the world, in places where there was plague, in places where there was poverty. And the one thing that changed that was Christianity. When Christianity took off, people started providing for these people in hordes. Orphanages opened up, hospitals. When people would flee the city at a plague, the people that were left behind to help everyone who cho chose to stay behind were the Christians. That had never, ever happened before. It was this complete selfless sort of giving. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in what's next. You know, we live in a very competitive culture, a very keeping up with the Jones-oriented culture. What do they have? What are they doing? What's the next thing to want to achieve? How do I add something to my resume? So how do I get the next job? More zeros on my paycheck, etc. And I think it's beneficial for us to look at that list of the things that maybe we have on our mind and do a little exercise called And Then. This is not from that movie about the, I can't remember what movie it is, when they're talking to the um, drive through and then, I can't remember what movie that is, but if you know what I'm talking about. That was the first thing I thought of when I came up with this. But, um, but anyways, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, it's a dumb movie, you don't need to see it. But um, what movie is it, do you know? Dude, where's my car? Okay, yeah, oh my gosh. Okay, I take that back, it's not a, it is a dumb movie, but if you haven't seen it, like, that's pretty funny. Um, so, but anyways. Oh, yeah, so very, very hyper-intellectual movies like Dude, Where's My Car? Yes, that's like PhD quality in my mind. No, um, but this exercise called And Then. Okay, and you think about the things that you're, you think we're going to fulfill you, that you think are going to make you happy, that you're pursuing and that you want to achieve. And you imagine yourself getting that, and then you just say, and then? Oh, maybe I'll, I'll finally, you know, find the person that I want to be with, find my vocation. Okay, great, and then? Oh, and then maybe I'll, you know, I'll get that job and you know, I'll finally get the career that I want, and, you know, I'll be making a good amount of money. And then, oh, and then I'll get a house, you know, and then we'll be comfortable. And then, oh, and then we'll have kids, and then, you know, um, we'll we'll live a great life, you know, we'll we'll, you know, and then, oh, and then my, my kids will get married and they'll have kids, and then then I'll, uh, then I'll retire, and then uh, and then I guess we'll travel a lot, and then um and it starts to put things into perspective. Because eventually we get to the point where this man gets to. Tonight your life is going to be demanded of you. And we don't know when that is. And God, for just for the purposes of the parable, is giving him a heads up. But we don't get a heads up often. And so how do we rationalize or reflect upon the order of the desires in our heart? Are we properly ordered, properly prioritizing what matters most? And what matters least? In fact, Matthew Kelly, he often says, like, those are some of the most important questions that a person can, can ask and seek the answer for for the, most, the, for the entirety of their life. Who is God? Who am I? What matters most? And what matters least? And when we understand the answers to those four questions, that is the key to a fulfilled and peaceful life. Who is God? Who am I? What matters most? And what matters least? And this gospel reading has everything to do with those last two questions. What matters most and what matters least? 
At the end of my life, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I can tell you definitively, I don't know how I, die, how I will die or when I will die, but I know on my deathbed, I'm not going to be thinking like, oh man, I really should have got a 401k or something. I really should invest in the stock market. You know, like, oh, I really blew that, you know, that opportunity for that job. You know, think about, you know, uh, I could be a Fortune 500 CEO right now. You know, I'm going to be thinking about like, man, I really wish that I had more time with my kids. I really wish I hadn't worked so much. And I really wish I hadn't been so selfish. I really wish I'd given more. That's why right after this, after this is put into perspective, in verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. You know, it's very famous. It's in Matthew chapter 6 as well in the Sermon on the Mount. One of my favorite passages about being dependent on God. Puts it all into perspective, context. I saw a hand. Nick. I was going to say it reminds me of uh, Memento Mori. Remember one day that you will die. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when he's talking about this barn and all this grain he's got, it, I feel like it's a lot of it's derived from, like, greed being derived from a sense of fear of loss or eventually dying. Mm -hmm. So it makes me wonder, did God immediately go to that and say, like, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to die tonight. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that was, you know, going straight to the source? Because I think that we oftentimes, we see something and we only, we subconsciously feel the fear. Mm -hmm. And that propels us into the and then or to hold or to be attached. Yeah. Um, so do you think that in that story, that's what was being pointed out to him? Or at least that's kind of like the point where it's saying, like, you're going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the momentum warning. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have the willingness to accept like our mortality, or if we have a fear of it, common response to fear is to you know run away from it, ignore it, and seek to control something. Okay, I can't control that. I don't want to figure it out. So what can I control? And we can get very scrupulous. We can get very meticulous. We can get very regimented, disciplined, routine-oriented because, okay, I've got my grasp on these things. So even though I'm really afraid of that, if I can figure all this stuff out, then I've got control of my life. And that is a very dangerous place to be because the second you think you have control of your life is when it changes <laughs> or when something falls apart, you know? It's been said often uh, that the, the longest distance that a Christian has to make in his life is the distance from here to here, from, from head to heart. And I think that's true. But I think one, if not more so, the longest distance a Christian has to make in their life is the distance from here to here. Holding on this desire to control, to be in charge, to have our plans, our desires fulfilled, and our willingness to finally get to a point where we can let them go and say, okay, God, this is yours. My hands are open. My life is in my hands. Take what you will. Give what you will. Rearrange what you need to. But I'm no longer holding on to any of it. That's a hard place to come to. And it's been harder and harder for me in my life as I've gotten older, as I've had a family, and I have you know, bigger, more important things that I can lose. It's become more real to me and more apparent the need constantly to be willing to let those things go, but how difficult it is has become so much more apparent to me. You know, before when I was, you know, a single 20-something who thought he was gonna live forever and ate whatever he wanted, you know, like it was it didn't even occur to me. It's just like cool, like my life is my own, I can do whatever I want, you know, and now I'm like, oh man, I can't do anything I want, you know. I can't like that's a terrible idea, you know, like I gotta really think about, you know, other people, you know. And that's not true. I do a lot of things that I want, but they're for, for better purposes, you know. But you get the idea, you know. And and I think it's 
so much of therapy, so much of spiritual direction, so much of the Christian life of prayer is really just thinking about this. Like, what are you holding on to? This plan, this idea of your happiness, this way you think life is supposed to be, this way you think others are supposed to behave, this way you think God is supposed to work. When can we let go of those and really begin to experience the depth of the spiritual life that God has in store for us? That's a hard, hard journey. And it never just happens like this. It's usually just like, okay, maybe, maybe just a little, okay, I'll give you this hand, I'll give you this hand, I'm feeling okay. Nope, I want that back, okay? You know, it happens in stages throughout the course of our life. But I think something, most people just die like this, totally afraid. You know, and it's interesting that those people who are saints in the church, especially those who were martyred in very horrific ways, how they treated death. You, know, you hear these stories all the time of the saints. One of my favorites is of St. Lawrence, who's a patron saint of chefs. And he's a patron saint of chefs because he was grilled alive on a grate. And as he was sitting there grilling alive, was he afraid about his death? Was he holding on? No, he said, I'm done on this side. You can turn me over now. And that is the disposition that the saints had about their lives. This is kind of lighthearted willingness to let go and completely trust in God. I came across the most amazing story of Teresa of Avila um, yesterday. It was said in a, in a homily at the Mass we were at in San Diego. And, 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 and by the way, I'll tell you this story. I told it to Katie and Jared earlier. It has nothing to do with this, but it was just so amazing. I can't, I can't not tell it. We're at a new church. They had children's liturgy of the word which we don't do here uh, anymore. Well, I think we're restarting it, but we haven't done it for a while. Which is when the kids, during the liturgy of the Word, they go off into another area and they hear like the gospel proclaimed in a way that like they can understand a little more easily. And they're doing that in this church. My daughter's never gone, but she saw a bunch of kids gather at the altar. She's like, I want to go with them. I was like, we don't know anyone here. Are you sure? You're not going to be scared? She's like, yeah. Do you have to go to the bathroom? No. Okay. So she goes. We get through all the readings and the priest stands up to give his homily and he says maybe two words, and my daughter bolts in through the side door of the church, runs up in front of him across the altar, yelling, Mommy, I have to go potty! In front of everyone. It was amazing. It was the best. It was so funny. My wife and I are just dying laughing. Um, so it took her like 30 seconds to compose herself to actually get up and take my daughter to the restroom. Um, but it was incredible. But what was funny about that is then the priest started with this story, and he said that St. Teresa of Avila would often pray everywhere she went. And she would pray in the bathroom when she was going to the bathroom. And one day the, the devil appeared to her and was trying to criticize her and tell her, like, look, like what you're doing is not only inappropriate, it's disgusting. And St. Teresa looked at the devil and she said, what comes out of my heart and my mouth, wherever it is, is for the Lord. But what comes out of the other end is for you. Oh. And just that beauty of that lightheartedness that the saints have, like they understand, like, I don't have to worry. Isn't that amazing? Like, she's a saint and she just made jokes like that, you know? One day, my mind was transformed. I, I don't smoke, but like, I came across an article of saints that smoke cigarettes and I was like, what? Like, because you just have perceptions of like people. And it was like, yeah, there's like plenty of them. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're like real human people. Like, that's amazing. Um, like, I would make a joke like that, St. Teresa of Avalon. Like, I get you. But like, but all that to say, like, there's this level of like, I'm not going to take this so seriously. And people who are seeking after wealth and riches and power and influence for their fulfillment, for their happiness, remember that inordinate attachment, that is the root of evil. That is this source of like this kind of seriousness. 
this anger, this kind of like, I'm better than you, this lack of ability to kind of have a sense of humor or, or be joked about, to take themselves, take themselves so seriously. And, and I, I don't know, it's just all of that as I'm reading this and as we're reflecting upon it together is just reminding me of the need to constantly self-reflect on what God has given me and how it can be given back, on what I'm attached to and how I can surrender it. Because again, I can't take anything with me. None of us will. The only thing we'll get to take with us to our judgment is our soul. And so how much, how often am I accruing wealth of the soul? each day. Is that my priority? Am I working on my spiritual resume or my earthly resume each day, to put it that way? Not that it's a list of to-dos or things that we can achieve, but like refocusing our intention. You know, how much effort are we putting in each week? 1% of your week is 15 minutes a day. And we spend 15 minutes a day on a lot of things, TV, our phone, talking, you know, to our friends, working especially. You know, we do a lot of things for 15 plus minutes a day. But are we devoting at least that much to the Lord? I think just, that's just 1%. How much more is God asking of you and me? There's a challenge for me too. It's something that we can all grow in. No one is ever going to reach the point where it's like, all right, like you're out doing God and generosity, so you can like calm down now. Like, no, like we can all stretch and grow in this area. And so how is God calling you to do that? In your time, in your talent, in your money, whatever it is, how are you being a good steward of what you've been given? That is how we will be, be judged in the end. That's what it says in, in, in Matthew 25, the judgment of the nations. Whether you provided for these least brothers of mine. Yes? I really like the last three words or four words right there. It says, be rich in what matters to God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the Samaritan, um, you know, he, he he loved his neighbor as himself. Yeah. And it says, love the Lord the God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Yeah. And um, love your neighbor as yourself. It seems like that's what matters most to him. Yeah. And we're to store our treasure in heaven, not here. And I'm mm -hmm. this man will store it here, but you send it ahead. So when you're there, yeah. you've got it already there. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what he's looking for. Yeah, I think um, it reminds me of uh, so many people I think are concerned about, like, how do I phrase this? So uh, there's a, a big patriarch of a family at my previous parish. He's since passed away. Um, but he used to say this thing to his family, that at the end of your life, when you get to heaven, God willing, you are going to be ushered into a stadium and everyone in the, that stadium who's there are going to be people that you in some way helped get to heaven. And so who would always say this, like, who's going to be in your stadium? Who are you getting in your stadium? And the interesting thing about that, what you just said, is I, I, I imagine the reality of so many people on earth trying to build that stadium here. How many people can I get to pay attention to me? You know, we have a very, you know, let's just think of the concert venue, like a very stage-focused kind of identity um, focus. Like, I want people to pay attention to me. I want to have more followers, more friends, more influence, etc. I want people to know my name. I want to be a celebrity. I want to, you know, leave behind a mark or an imprint, whatever it is. That's big in our world and in our culture. Maybe not for all of us, but that's just, you know, we're surrounded by it. And yet, that image of the heavenly stadium and how even then, when we walk in, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about that God was made the center of each of these persons' lives. 
know, we're not leading people closer to us, but to him. And so having that image, having that question that we can ask ourselves this week, am I rich in what matters to God? Am I rich in what matters to God? How full is my spiritual wallet? How am I giving? Life, so much of life, and the way people live it is focused on what can I get? What can I gain? How much more? But if we continue to pray on what can I give? What can I give? Where is there a need? A phrase that I really love, and we can close with this, a phrase that I really love is see a need, fill a need. If you see a need, fill it. So many people, it is true in churches, but it's true everywhere, will come up to you and say, you know what's wrong about this? You know what you need to fix? You know what could have been better about the seminar or whatever it is? I've heard it so many times. I really liked your talk, but you know you could do next time? Or you made a mistake here. All these different things. You know, but at church, we get it all the time. You know, you know what kind of ministry you should start? And our response often is like, that sounds like a great idea. You should do that. And 99% of the time, people are like, oh, I, I couldn't do that. No, no, never. You should do it. You guys do that stuff. If you see a need, fill it. You know, if you see a need, fill it. You have the capacity. God has placed you where you are on purpose. It was not a mistake. He gave you the gifts that you have on purpose. He gave you everything that you own and possess on purpose. Nothing is without a purpose. Every penny in my bank account has a divine purpose. Every ounce of my time, every millisecond of my time has a divine purpose. Every talent I've been given has a divine purpose. The same is true for all of us. Am I using it the way it is supposed to be used? And am I too attached to the things that don't matter? That is preventing me from seeing what does. That, I think, is the heart of the gospel message this Sunday. So hopefully it provides multiple ways that we can reflect and be challenged as we prepare to hear it proclaimed this weekend. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you are so good, and you give us so many good gifts. In the Gospel of John, you said, I came that you would have life, that you would have it abundantly. But sometimes, Lord, we get lost in the abundance of earthly wealth, earthly pursuits, things that we think will fulfill us or make us happy or satisfy us, when in the end we know that the only thing that will truly satisfy the desires of our hearts for love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty is you. And so we pray, God, that you would shed our lives with the rest, or at least inordinate attachment to the rest, and properly order our life toward you and toward the love of you through our service of others. That you've called us to do good works, not to think of ourselves first, but to think of how we are called to love. And as St. John of the Cross said, at the sunset of our lives, we'll be judged on love alone. So how will we love this week and the weeks to come, using what you have given us, giving back, being good stewards of all you have given in our time, our talent, our money, for your glory, not for our own. If we don't know what that is, Lord, what the answer is, where you're calling us, make that apparent to us this week. Make it obvious and help us to have the courage to say yes. Help us to let go, to open our hands and to surrender, especially the things that we are attached to, that we seek to control, we think will make us happy. Take those things away so that greater blessings can come for others and for us. All for your glory. We pray all of this in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So.